Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Kalen Cookson. He is director of clinical research at Zoetis. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Joe. Now, you've been taking a look at infectious bursal disease, which is really nothing new for you. I know that's one of your pet projects, but um, specifically, you've been looking at the different um, types or strains of IBD that are out there in the field. Mm-hmm. What are you finding? Well, we're finding some things that are like what we've seen 10 years ago, and we're seeing some things that are changing a little bit. So what has stayed about the same are the uh, the three categories besides Delaware E, AL2, T1, and Group 6, have pretty much stayed about the same over the past 10 years. That is, AL2 is about one in every two isolates that we, we uh recovery out of the field, out of broilers, followed by T1, and then followed by group six. Now, what has changed is, um, say, 10 years ago, we did a survey, and about 20% of the isolates were Delaware E. Uh, Well, in our most recent survey, we found that has dropped about in half of that rate. So it's about 10% now. And at the same time, what's interesting is we've seen a growth in what we call a catch-all category we call new types. And so, for example, back in 2010, they made up about 3% of the survey. And I think in this more recent survey, they made up 12 to 15%. So quite a bit of growth there at the expense of Delaware E. And if you look at them, um, most of them share some or at least one key mutation of Delaware E. So it's almost as if, you know, some Delaware E viruses further mutated or maybe some of these other major categories of viruses acquired a unique mutation that Delaware E has, specifically at position 323. And managing infectious uh, bristle disease has always been critical, but I guess it's even more important today as more and more poultry producers are going to either no antibiotics ever production or certainly just minimizing antibiotics. They've got to do everything they can to optimize immunity. Right. So even if the immune status of broiler flocks is similar today as it was, say, five years ago, um, now we have a different paradigm with the ABF situation. So Um, It just uh, makes birds more susceptible to secondary bacterial infections. So um, if there was that same level of subclinical immune suppression, um, as long as you were controlling the bacteria, you might not be hurt by it so much or it might not be as apparent. But with the the loss of that as a a tool, um, it puts a lot more pressure on, you know, making sure your flocks all have solid immunity, and IBD is one of the biggest ones that we need to control. So what have you learned uh, from your survey? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about that, and then what does it mean in terms of planning vaccination programs? Well, uh, 
the big thing it means is if if 50% of our field isolates are from one virus family, namely AL2, well, then you have to ask yourself, how is my foundational immunity and my breeder program covering against that major class of viruses? So that's number one, because if, if you're not going to develop a, a commercial program that's going to cover against that family of viruses very well, then you're opening, opening yourself up to what we talked about with you know, any level of immune suppression, uh, you throw in their lack of antibiotics, um, it's just asking you know, too much from the bird. And then past that, um, what about these other types and how, do your, how does your commercial program cover against those? And we're in the process of evaluating that, that second question. We think we've got some pretty good answers so far on the first one about AL2. Kalen, at the 2020 International Poultry Scientific Forum, you presented some work uh, on your challenge studies with IBD. Uh, can you wrap those up for us? Yeah, so we looked at uh, three series of, uh, of, of bird challenge studies, um, and it was looking at various kill vaccines, commercial kill vaccines, and with the focus on the AL2 family of viruses. There are four kill vaccines on the market. We compared uh, the four-way products of each of those, and we found that there were two that did a reasonably good job of protecting against AL2 and the like, and there were two that didn't do, do so well. And against the subtypes of AL2, we found if, if the products did a good job against AL2, they tended to do a good job against these other subtypes. And if they didn't do well against AL2, then they didn't tend to do so well against the subtypes. So kind of, in my mind, validates, number one, that these subtypes are indeed related to AL2. And number two, there are differences in, in commercial products and how well they cross-protect against this family of viruses. So even with the variability that you have seen with the IBD virus, is it safe to say that building the vaccine program around AL2 is a good strategy? Yeah, I would say so, uh, because the other thing is uh, the commercial, all of the commercial vaccines they, by definition, have to have good efficacy against Delaware Reed. So that's still a player. I mentioned the new types. They all seem to have, or many of them, seem to have some of the Del E looks to them. So I, I would expect that your commercial vaccines will still give you um, some degree of cross-protection against these new types that have those looks. And if they also do well against AL2, it probably reflects that they're more cross-protective in general against the non-Delaware type. So you're going to tend to cover more bases, at least with your, with your commercial platform. And just from what you've said, it just seems like while there is variability, uh, it seems like overall this is a pretty stable virus. Is that correct? There is a fair amount of variability, but as far as the ones that take and start to spread, um, it, it takes years for that to occur. So the ones that we have today, we've probably had the lion's share of them in circulation for the past 10, 15 years. The AL2 virus probably started to originate in the late 1990s, but by the mid 
2000s, I would say it had already started to predominate. And so once a new one, a new experiment does start to come forward, it can start to, uh, to start to spread and travel um, just like a bronchitis virus travels from region to region once, once it's created. So if you're vaccinating for infectious bursal disease, how do you know when it's time to make a change in your program? I think it's a good idea to uh, do surveillance about once a year just to uh, confirm that your predominant viruses haven't changed or to see how they're starting to shift. Uh, They're going to tend to be in those major categories and then you'll have some of these new types. If you're looking to diversify your program uh, with an autogenous, you might focus on what's unique about your, your complex. Uh, I've always advocated um, if you're going to use an autogenous to at least have an AL2 in there, you know, and then build from that. So another consideration when you're doing these annual surveillance programs is not just what type of viruses you're finding in your operations, but what is the infection window that you're finding these viruses? If you're finding 90% of these isolates are coming in birds that are after three weeks of age, that's less pressing to do something other than having a solid backbone commercial program than if you go and do a survey and you see that, say, 20 to 30% of your flocks are getting infected before three weeks of age, which is always a red flag. And so what kind of changes do you make then? Well, you uh, first look at what is my, my conventional program? Can I do something to improve that? Um, and then beyond that, uh, if I'm doing what should be a solid program and I'm still seeing an early infection window, then we still have to wonder, well, is that program getting properly expressed? Okay, and there's a couple different ways that that can occur. One is... Uh, You know, am I doing an adequate uh, job of priming my birds, you know, with the live vaccines in my program to so that the birds are triggered and ready and prepared to respond optimally to that once I get into my kill program? And number two is, do I have a really good application program? Am I checking my vaccination crews? So even though on paper I might have a, a a good program with my two kill products? Am I actually delivering full doses to my hens on a consistent basis? That's so important, isn't it? Right. So if, if, you, if you look at that and you answer that question, you feel like you're doing a, a good job of live priming. You're doing a good job applying the vaccines. You're using a couple products that should be giving you good cross protection. And yet I'm still having some of these flocks that are getting infected in an early window, then that's probably when you really need to start to look at supplementing that program with an autogenous and then pick which viruses. Most people, when they're picking autogenous, what goes into that, they tend to focus on the the ones that they've found in surveys that are infecting the birds early, which I think is a sensible approach. The ones that are infecting earlier are presumably the ones that are penetrating 
that maternal antibody barrier you're trying to create. And so presumably the, you know, having those isolates in an autogenous would best complement what you're already doing. Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com slash join.